Again? It's us little Grivels again. Which you probably wasn't expecting again. And we wasn't expecting to be here again, were we? No, not like this. Not like this. We was preparing for a proper funeral, weren't we? I was settling in for a right bit of mourning, I don't mind telling you. But we can fill the hole back in, can't we? We can, and we will. There won't be no cold body to bury. Because there's a warm body right here. Mr. Oak has returned. Well, hello, my friends. I'm almost overcome with relief. We thought you dead for sure. For sure. So what happened? Sounded like you've been eaten. That's because I almost was. But you were Clearly. So you escaped. My luck came at the misfortune of many others, unfortunately. And then what? Nettles and starfish. Nettles and what? Starfish. I reckon I'm not making sense of all this. The sound my message must have ended on was the moment the ship gave up its fight against the pressure of the creature squeezing it, the barbed tentacle finally introducing the sea to the belly of the boat. I see your latest adventure ain't nothing to tame your affinity for hyperbole, Mr. Oak. Not a thing. Perhaps the contrary. Well, go on then. What happened next? Well, I found myself in the open ocean, the seas angry and churning as the creatures twisted and turned, fought for a nibble of flesh from my fellow crewmen. I was caught in the currents and dragged out further into open water, and when I finally found the surface, I was far from the carnage but could see the massacre clearly. Pieces of the ship bobbed in the water, thrown into the sky, the tentacles and bodies of the monsters looked like a knot of serpents splashing about. I did not fight the waters that tugged me further away, and I realized I was not alone. Another man, Jim Helsey, the first mate, floated a few dozen feet from me. He was still, quiet, moving in the rhythm of the sea and I thought he was dead. Then after a good deal of time drifting, I heard him ask me if we were going to die. I told him the chances of death were better than the chances of life, but that was always the way of things, just to focus on the next breath, the next second of keeping his head above water. The day slowly dimmed and the blackness of night was revealed. The stars, the open universe above us, it reflected in the water around me and I felt as if I was in space, not the ocean. Outside of my body, my mind making a break for it, for infinity. The cold of the night and the water was such that it began to feel warm. The body can only shake and shiver so much before finding it futile and whispering warmth to the nerves. Oh dear, lost at sea. I don't even like being stuck in the rain, I don't mind telling you. Mr. Oak is telling a story, isn't he? Don't poke me. Don't interrupt and I won't poke you. A dozen apologies plus one, Mr. Oak. Do go on. Thank you. Well, when morning came, I called to Helsey, who was a bit further off, and he confirmed that he was indeed alive. I checked every few hours after that, my own voice letting me know that I was alive as well. My hunger and thirst began to grow. The whisper of the sea was in my ears, its offer for me to sip deeply. To quench that thirst was growing louder. The second I considered it most, when my ability to reason was diminished entirely, I heard Helsey ask if I could see something in the distance. I lifted my head out of the water enough to look out at the horizon. I asked what I was looking for, and he said the sea looked solid. The water was moving as one mess instead of mingling waves. 
I recognized at once that the water ahead was filled with migrating honey nettles, a kind of golden jellyfish native to the open oceans in the Pacific. I told him to swim away with whatever fight he had left in him. I ordered my own body to do the same, but under the weight of the thirst and hunger and scorched skin I could not manage more than a flittering of my hands. The current dragged us along into the smack, into their long, stinging tentacles that slid over and around our bodies. The first few paralyzed us, silenced our screams, our rigid bodies forced to float on for a mile, enduring sting after sting that echoed inside of us with no ability to scream or fight. At some point, I passed out. When my mind decided that it was merciful to wake me from the suffering of the nettles, I was on a beach, shivering, yet my flesh felt like it was on fire from all the welts and stinging of the tentacles we'd just left behind. I was still paralyzed, my lungs struggled for each breath, my heart struggled for each beat. I managed to whisper to see if Helsey was near, but I got no response. After a few attempts to do so, I forced my head to the side with the aid of 1% muscle and 99% gravity. It flopped into the sand, and I saw the corpse of my fellow castaway, no more than six feet away. His eyes were still open, staring back at me. A crab emerged from his mouth and pinched off a piece of his lip and began to eat it. I closed my eyes, not wanting to see any more, but too weak to turn my head away completely. Unfortunately, I could not plug my ears and could clearly hear the flesh ripping, the crab's small mouth macerating its meal, and something else. There was a bubbling sound, a dragging over soft sand, a chattering of movement. I opened my eyes once more to see the crab skittering off, frightened of something. From the lapping waves behind Helsey came an army of five-pointed death. A galaxy of starfish approached. A galaxy of starfish? A smack of jellyfish? Your descriptive prowess knows no bounds, Mr. Oak. A right bit weird if I do say so myself. That is simply what the groups of animals are called. I did not name them, but could not have done a better job. Is that so? It is. Well, go on then. A starfish, you say? A galaxy of them? Yes, but not any starfish. They were black-bottomed devils. Giant, vicious predators. Bigger than us? Oh yes, bigger by two. And they move quick, lifting their thick legs lined with thorns and venomous spikes towards the meal before them. Dozens crawled over Helsey's corpse, hooking into his clothing and exposed flesh, and flattening out. The spikes injected their poison into the corpse and then secreted a digestive enzyme that turned the flesh and muscle into liquid. He was covered over, except his eyes. Those two eyes stared out at me, distant and helpless, and I found myself relieved that he was already dead and could not suffer anymore. But then I remembered that I was not. When there was no more room on his corpse, the other starfish turned their hunger to me. They pulled and heaved themselves over the sand, hissing and snapping at one another to be first to get a taste of me. And just as one reached out one of its five arms to get a firm grip, to begin liquefying my paralyzed but still very living body, I was pulled away. Someone was dragging me off the beach, into the brush, to safety. Who was it that saved you, Mr. Oak? Yeah, who was it that came upon you right then? A man I won't name, but it was the man that I'd set out to see all along. The current took me to the island I'd wanted to arrive at, and it seemed I was the only one who managed to do so alive. By morning, my paralysis had subsided enough to sit and talk, but not stand or walk, and I was able to conclude my reason for coming here to begin with. 
which is another story for another time. Helsey's life vest had a GPS tracker on it and it didn't take long for help to arrive. I was taken back to the mainland, managed to find a flight back to the east coast, and arrive home to my family. Mmm, quite a tale, Mr. Oak. Another horror survived, wasn't it? Another nightmare birthed, isn't it? Yes, but now we can do what you asked me to do, and what we came here for, and what I promised the listeners we would do, and you can ask me some questions. Oh yes, very good, very good. Do you have the paper? I left it over here, didn't I? Under this... Oh, a fine mess, a fine mess indeed. Okay, okay, here it is. Lovely. Okay, well, we'll clean up all this later or never, but let's get going. The first question comes from Bizzlesticks on Mastodon, who asks, If you weren't doing what you do, what would you be doing? I think you'd be a good creepy custodian, always lurking in people's periphery and popping up with creepy and profound things to say. Well, so what would it be then, Mr. Oak? Well, that's a good question, and it's one that I consider in the moments I wish I wasn't doing what I do. Like when? Like when I'm laying paralyzed on a beach. I have an affinity for animals and I'm drawn to people in need, perhaps a vet or a doctor. But then there's my love for travel, especially to places not only new to me, but new to anyone. And then, of course, is my passion for the creatures that go on singing and on notice, the monsters in the closet and the goblins underfoot. In the end, all things considered and parceled together, I think this is the only thing that I can do. Well, can I ask another question, Mr. Oak, or do you need to scuttle off? No, I've freed my afternoon a bit for you. Go ahead. Okay, this next question is from a Mr. Kemper, a happy tiger man on Twitter. He wants to know what your childhood was like. Well, it's not a secret that it's been as bad as unusual as the rest of my life. I've told the story of when I found the wealth that sustains me in one of the early episodes of the podcast, about the death of my mother and my father sealing her into the trunk of a great tree outside of our family home. I've shared how I was left to travel the world alone as a child, how I drifted through cities and forests alike, how we began to know the creatures and beings in the world that few others are privileged enough to know. And while I plan to share a great deal more, as Mr. Kemp is not the only one to ask, I will say that one thing people may miss about my childhood was how lonely and isolating it was. Even before my mother's death, when my family was together, I felt slightly out of place, like a puzzle piece whose edges never quite lined up, experiencing things no one else seemed to and seeing the world in a way that others didn't, except for my mother. She always believed me, and I think she knew more than she let on. Then as I grew, I found comfort in the others of the world, and in people who also move back and forth between the world we know and the world that is, between life and death. My guardian when I was younger, Henry Fellows, also helped me to see that I was not alone, in his own way, of which I'll discuss soon. Of course, the moment that truly helped me feel as one with it all was when I met my wife and we welcomed our children into the world. Now, my childhood being what it was and my wife being who and what she is, I made it a point that my children will never know the seclusion that I did. And a right couple of pups they are, aren't they? Well, thank you. Speaking of people and creatures in your life, Hopeless Optimus on Twitter wants to know, 
how you met us little grivels. Oh, well, that's a nice question. It's good to think of us from time to time. We're here too, you know. Well, would you like to tell the story since you're so excited to share? Oh, Mr. Oak, we ain't no great weavers of tales, are we? Well, it was a rainy night some 20 years ago, and I remember the water coming down from the dirt above us. The tree roots had made holes in the ceiling because someone thought it better to wait till spring before pruning and redirecting them, didn't he? And how was I supposed to get to them? The ground was frozen through, wasn't it? Only because you forgot to get to them before winter took hold, didn't you? So the water was coming into your hollow. Right, right, right. We was trying to bail out the best we could and redirect what we couldn't, you know, away from the printing presses and the bed nooks. And we'd almost managed to see the storm through with only a bit of mutton sweat. But when the ceiling came crashing in and a foot almost took me life. It was Mr. Outcome knocking, wasn't it? Broke clean through. It was, and he felt right bad about it, didn't he? I did. I was trying to escape the rain myself. It was a hurricane, actually, when the ground gave way. But she was good enough not to leave us to drown, weren't you? Got right to work digging us a proper burrow for our equipment and a new home under a large bit of stone, didn't you? Well, it was the least I could do. Didn't last long, though, did it? Oh, you're going to bring- But someone was meant to put up some supports against the stone, weren't they? Said they'd wait until spring, and then what happened? A deer- A deer came to sun himself on the rock, didn't he? Prim and proper, and it all came crashing in. But that's how we met. And not long after, you made your new home in the land by my home. We're right neighbors, aren't we, Mr. O? And friends. Best friends. Well, friends, anyway. Is there another question? Right, well, the last question is from that burnt rider on Twitter. They've gone and burned themselves. Ah, oh, poor thing. We should get them some aloe, shouldn't we? Must be in a right bit of pain. I burned myself once on a rock that was by the fire, and I howled like a wolf with a stubbed toe, didn't I? And you cried. When did I cry? And what is their question, Gribbles? Well, it seems she's a right bit curious about your regrets, and to put a point on it, what regrets you might have about something you had to do during one of your outings. Regrets? Well, I have some, but in that regard, I don't allow such barnacles to cluster on my soul. I'm always trying to help, but find myself many times caught up in three separate areas. First, I am a human and mostly enjoy my species, at least individually. I also have a connection with the others, the creatures of folklore and shadows. And while they might not always have a concern for my well-being, and in fact a great many look to devour or dismember me, I can't turn my back on them. Like them starfish. Or them sea beasts. Exactly, and I don't abandon them, it's their nature. And that is my third loyalty, my god, my keeper. Nature itself. It is the nature of man to be an all-consuming, frightened, violent juggernaut that rolls over the natural world in the name of religion and a perceived hierarchy with itself and its own fragmented interests at the top of that citadel. However, it is the nature of the others to ensure their own survival on this world, and sometimes that means pushing back against the mass of humanity as it encroaches every crack and crevice of this world. So if I'm honest, I exist within that push and pull, protecting my kind and their kind and walking the tightrope of a scientist studying the natural world as a predator approaches the prey and wanting to scream out, but staying silent because to interfere is to think you can control fate itself and to think you know better. So my ongoing regret is losing one to the other even if it's in my power at that moment to stop it. 
However, I'm imperfect and partial to one or the next in this situation or that, and I'm plagued by the senselessness, the morality, and conscious and do involve myself, at times admittedly inappropriately, and when I do, things tend to further degrade. So that's my greatest and growing regret. The destruction wreaked by my best intentions, the loss of life due to my inability to properly play God when God itself is quite good at balancing itself without my interference. Did that answer the question or have I just gone around it a few times? I'd say it's a good honest summation, isn't it? Quite so. Well, listen guys, I would love nothing more than to sit here and answer more questions, but my sons are waiting to head into the woods now that I'm home. Oh, adventure awaits then, Mr. Oak. It always seems to, but a couple of things before I do leave. First, thank you both for taking the time to pass my message along last week, and for being here today. Oh, ain't nothing, Mr. Oak. Oh, and to let you know that I'll be taking some time to complete a few other projects that I'll announce soon. In the meantime, before I sit down to tell you more of my stories, I'll be hosting an interactive series with all of you. Us Grivels? Well, sure, and, and the listeners, so stay tuned for that. And in the meantime, should anyone wish to get in touch, you can find me on social media at Hanson Oak with any questions or comments I'd love to hear from you. Of course, simply writing my name on an envelope or package and sending it off seems to do the trick as well. Oh, a good bit of information that is. Sure. So nobody will be in the studio then? Uh, no, I, I guess not. Uh, then perhaps I could be of service. I could stop by from time to time and tell a few stories. Or we could. Right, we, we could tell a few stories. Well, if this spirit so moves you, then sure. So we see you soon then, Mr. Oak. Very, and thank you to everyone who's listened and been in touch so far. We have much more to come. Until then. Did you enjoy this tale? Who? Me? Who are you talking to? No, the listener. What are you talking to them for? The story's done. They've gone on, haven't they? Well, maybe not. Maybe they'll listen to us little grivels for a bit. Mr. Oak ain't the only one with a story to share. I have things to say. What things? Like, maybe if they enjoyed themselves, they should subscribe or follow or leave a review. Don't be telling them what to do. I'm not. It's not polite ordering those poor folks to do things, especially since they ain't here for you. They came for Mr. Oak, didn't they? Well, how do you know they ain't come for us? Because they don't even know who we are. All I'm saying is it's good manners to subscribe or follow or leave a review, isn't it? Is this recording? Did you hit the button? Oh, I thought you hit the button. Oh dear. Mr. Oak won't be happy. <laughs> <laughs>